standby. Hello. Thank you for choosing the Lackadaisical Libricubiculars podcast. Without further delay, here is your host, Jordan Maywood. Hello! Welcome to the Librocube. My name is Jordan Maywood, and I am the Lackadaisical Librocubiculars. Today, within the Librocube, is a very mm, special in quotes, with a question mark on the end, edition of the podcast. Because what I have done, what I've decided to do, is clean out the old kitchen cupboards and start afresh. And by that I mean, because of my recent Fan Expo edition, Nerd Cane Adventures special thing with pictures and coinciding release dates and just a sort of giant outpouring of media, my input of media was slim to none. So, what I've decided to do is take the few things I do have and combine them into one episode. So I'm mashing together a TV Tuesday, mashing it up with a book Wednesday, mashing that up with a video games day to one sort of stew. Let's call it a stew. Let's call it the liberal cube stew because that is kind of what it is like. It's a metaphor. Yeah, very meta for perhaps a meta five, even. Why don't I say the same thing that I say at the top of every show, and that is there will be spoilers guaranteed somewhere hidden within this gloopy conglomeration of things I'm going to talk about. I am going to spoil things. That is a god damn guarantee. So, that is your warning. That is most likely your one and only warning. I drag it out so that people saying, hey, why did you spoil us? You have this right here. Don't, don't tell at me. I gave sufficient warning. If this warning is not sufficient, I really don't know what to do. I don't know. Another thing I like to say is that if you like what you hear, the only payment I ask is a million dollars. No. That is ridiculous. The only payment I ask is perhaps you pass the podcast on to a friend. Perhaps you rate, subscribe, and comment in iTunes, because that right there is what helps others find the podcast. I don't know why I'm going into an accent as I'm saying this, but I did. And there's no going back now. That will, of course, take us into our last piece of podcast-related business, which is today's sponsor. Oh, three sponsors today. Well, that's uh, unusual. Today's sponsor is MASH, the TV show, as well as MASH, the game you probably played as a kid with the little pieces of paper, um, mansion, apartment, shed, house, that game, you know what I mean, and uh, mashed potatoes. So kind of odd to have three sponsors today, but hey, in an episode in which we're mashing three different episodes together, why not have three different sponsors? It just makes sense. Three times money, three times the entertainment. Uh Again, we'll do quotes and a question mark on the end of that, because we have zero confidence. When I say we, I of course mean, mean me, that is the podcast we which is much like the royal we. 
Item the First is a television show. Uh, a television show that I've been sort of holding back on watching because I knew I would love. And um, what I decided to do, what I am glad I did do, is during the course of my sort of fan expo weekend, in spare moments in my room when I wasn't editing the 395 different pictures together to form Nerdcane Adventures, please check that out, uh, what I did was watch this show. This show, the title of which I will say, I'm almost teasing it for some reason. Does it make sense to tease it when I'm going to say it in seconds? I don't know why a several seconds of teasing, probably the only result being that it pisses people off. I don't know why I'm doing it. I will stop doing it and say Children's Hospital. Children's Hospital, the name of the television program. This, in a sense, kind of, sort of, kind of, sort of, could also potentially be on a internet day. Huh. So, let's say, for the sake of argument, that we're also combining a internet day in this mashup. The reason I say that is because this television show got its start as a web series. So, hey, there you go. There's the connection. Which means the only thing that is sort of left out of this day is uh, Movie Monday. So, that's a shame. Poor, poor, poor Movie Monday. Well, Movie Monday gets a lot of love uh, on your average week, so let's let him sit by himself and, and not get cocky. Yeah, yeah. Not including Movie Monday in this mashup of TV Tuesday, Book Wednesday, Video Games Day, and Internet Day will keep Movie Monday from getting cocky. We don't want a cocky Movie Monday because we don't like cockiness in the Libro Cube. Do we not? Question asked and answered. Haven't done that in a while. But I did it there. If you are unfamiliar with the television program Children's Hospital, it is goddamn hilarity. A way in which I will often measure comedy shows and movies and anything for that matter is by uh, what I like to call, and I'm not sure if I made this up, I probably didn't, uh, JPMs, which stands for Jokes Per Minute. And Children's Hospital is in the very, very extremely high percentile of JPMs, or jokes per minute, if you prefer. It is definitely up there with things such as probably your highest example I can think of off the top of my head would be the, the movie, or I suppose series, Airplane. So the movie Airplane with Leslie Nielsen, that one. Probably that movie has the highest joke per minutes out of any movie you could watch. And I have a feeling that this television show, I think I'm going to say this, this television show has the highest ratios of joke per minute of any other television show in existence. That right there was a long pause for drama. I think that has something to do with a couple of reasons. That it came originally from the interwebs, where people's attention spans are much, much less than they are on TV. So you got to really get in the, the jokes fast, quick, fast, quick, or else people will, you know, leave you and go uh, watch or listen to something else. So that is one thought. The other thing is that I do believe... The fact that it is only 15 minutes means they have to cram more in 
and therefore edit more out. Uh, yeah, that's another sort of... It's kind of a strange thing about this show. Uh, something that I think is usually, again, just off the top of my head, usually only takes place in the realm of cartoons. I think, I think. The 15-minute uh, long television show. Very, very rare. But uh, works well in this format. So that's how I was able, how about just on that note, to blow through the first three seasons of this in my already goddamn jam-packed Fan Expo weekend. So, there you go. If you cannot guess from words I have said so far in this discussion, my rating for this TV show slash originally web series is easily no hesitation whatsoever. Me even saying words before I just spill out that I'm going to give it a 5 out of 5 are ridiculous. 5 out of 5. Yeah. Super, super funny. Incredibly well written. And does it have to do with... Here's a thought. I don't know if this is at all accurate, but uh, let's say this is potentially accurate. That they will write a half-hour-long TV episode and then edit it down to 15 minutes, cutting out anything that is not a friggin' hilarious joke. How about that for a potential explanation of the high JPMs of this TV show. Huh? Huh? Uh, created by Mr. Rob Cordry, apparently. Oh shit, you know what I don't know is when I was looking at the IMDB of this page it said Rob Cordry creator, but I don't know if there was other people after his name now that I think about it. Other creators of this. It has a sort of feel of a kind of sort of soap opera-y ish, kind of, but not really. I think maybe that's more how it started, is taking the idea of a, a, what was that one called? General Hospital. Ooh, how do I remember that? Or know that? I have no idea. <laughs> uh, but it is embarrassing. Some knowledge that I possess is embarrassing, and the fact that there's a soap opera called General Hospital is one of those. I suppose that is knowledge that never saw that show have, so whatever. Anyways, uh, so I think it had the feel of sort of making fun of that show to a degree, and then flowed from that thought to just amping up the ridiculous craziness to levels that are just insanely unbelievable, and I love it. Maybe sort of saying what I just said there, the potential exists that this show would be too crazy for certain viewers. Huh, I never thought about that. Maybe they went too crazy, and people who do not like crazy shit would not like this crazy shit. Huh, never thought of it that way. I freaking love it. Like, one of the funniest crazy shits I've ever seen. What I've done here, to sort of round it out, is normally when I do TV Tuesdays, I'll sort of bring back individual episodes. Rather than that, since I watched three entire seasons, that doesn't really make sense. Plus, I'm mashing shit together, so I don't have a huge, huge amount of time. Uh, what I've decided to do instead is just sort of talk a little bit about the characters on the program and see where that takes us. Hey, why not? First day is Rob Cordry, which I guess makes sense. Creator, writer on it. Probably, if I had to guess, maybe possibly, as well as actor on it. He plays Dr. Blake Downs. If 
feel like you should say it in that voice. Dr. Blake Downs is... Um, a clown who uses the healing power of laughter to quote-unquote heal his patients. The patients, I should mention, if you cannot tell from the title, are all children. The fact that <laughs> they decided to use children in this very, very um, adult show is a amazing choice for the reason that the sort of, I guess, juxtaposition of super, super sexy, racy, um, racist, ridiculous, adult-themed drugs, murder, blood everywhere, and then here's children intermingled with all of that is a choice that perhaps some would frown upon, but I goddamn love. Ah, next we have uh, Rob Hubel. Rob Hubel, super, super funny. So is Rob Corddry, I should mention. I, I should mention, and just sort of things I have seen him in, including many, many, many podcasts. The, the both of them, actually. I think I've seen or rather heard Rob Hubel in podcasts as well. He plays Dr. Owen Maestro. Sort of a bit of a cocky guy. Uh, also very, very sexual. But a lot of these characters, I sort of come to realize over the course of these three seasons, are just sort of oozing with sexuality. Because uh, I guess that sort of intertwines with the whole soap opera vibe. For example, in that same sort of vein, uh, Ken Marina, or sorry, Marino, who, uh, if you saw the television show Party Down, uh, again, I will, well, not again, but I will say the television show Party Down, also 5 out of 5, also very high JPMs, not size this, but still, that was a half hour program, so maybe that's why. Uh-huh. He plays Dr. Glenn Ritchie. He's, um, Jewish, although I don't believe Jewish in real life. Marino doesn't sound like a Jewish name, but you never know. So, uh, that's where some of the racist stuff comes in. <laughs> like, at one point, actor David Wayne plays a character named... Oh shit, I didn't write it down. But it is no joke, something along the lines of Dewey Jewiston. Dewey Jewiston, or something to that effect. I am not exaggerating for comedic effect. Next, we have Megan Mullally. Megan Mullally, so incredibly talented and funny, plays the chief sort of surgical chief of the hospital, I suppose. She has various, uh, I'm not sure if neurological diseases or diseases that mean she cannot walk well or at all, has to use canes, cannot, I don't know, make a fist, for example, and yet everyone is incredibly sexually attracted to her despite her um, outward deformity-type appearances and things. Very, very strange. Uh, we have... Erin Hayes, who plays Dr. Lola Spratt. Again, just oozing sex. She is pretty, 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 pretty hot. And I liked her. She is, I think, over the course of the three seasons I watched, just sort of the worst overall doctor in terms of being incompetent. Uh, they all are. None of them are good at their jobs. Uh, to 
sort of freakishly horrible at being doctor levels. Uh, they all, every single one of them. But I, I think if she is sort of just the worst, which, you know, that's where you want to be on a show like this. You want to be the worst doctor among horrible doctors, so good on you. Next we have Lake Bell, who plays Dr. Cat Black. Again, <laughs> oozing sexualness. She's got a bit of a lesbian vibe in her and Dr. Lola have a little flingish kind of thing going. There was, I remember how the sort of series started with these two. Repeated scenes of them sort of leaning in to kiss, and then Dr. Cat Black would, uh, would sneeze in her face just over and over again. They'd start to, start to get a little lesbian action on the go. And then, you know, a sneeze in the mouth. That really would kind of ruin the mood a little bit. Other appearances, that's sort of the regular crew. Uh, Henry Winkler, he sort of signed on a little way in. He's like the, is he the owner or he runs the hospital? Not quite sure. He, Henry Winkler, in Anything and Everything, I didn't watch Happy Days. I don't know him as the Fonz, but I do know him in, say, Arrested Development. And now this goddamn comedy timing up the yin-yang. Super, super funny. Love him. There's some other names I was going to mention of sort of recurring char characters. They are all spot-on, awesome, amazing show. I uh, think I gushed more about this show than I have any other show. I don't normally do that, but when you love it, you love it. So that's what we're here for, people, to talk about things. Things that I may not like and things that I may like. And uh, I want to hear what you feel about them as well, so please... Contact me to the address provided in the closing credits, or perhaps via Twitter. Would love to hear from you. That, of course, leaves one final thing to say as I am parking in my garage. So that's some good timing. And that is, of course, it is nice to be nice to the nice. Oh, shit. No, I didn't mean to say that. <laughs> We're coming back for more. I, I forgot. So uh, what I'm going to do here is put some sort of transition to indicate... A night has passed, and we're moving into Book Wednesday and Throw Video Games Day. Okay, that's what I meant to do. Idiot. Transition. Hello again. Moving back in after a lovely sleep at night time, in which most people do their sleeping, is what I have done. I'm gonna move back in. I already said that. Apparently not enough sleep, as I am not making sense. As we have completed the TV Tuesday portion of this mashup, that of course means, by sort of logical Sherlock Holmesian deduction, that we're going to move into Book a Wednesday. Specifically, a new trilogy that I just started, yay that, I think every time I have brought a trilogy back to the Liberal Cube, I've mentioned that there's something about books in a series of three that uh, always seems to go down well. Yeah. I don't know what it is. Something psychological about it, I am sure. Maybe a study has been done. If it has been done, or you have an opinion, please let me know. Would love to... Hear from you. Audience participation completed. The book in question, or book one 
of the Time, uh, oh shit, Times Odyssey. You know what? I wrote down Time Odyssey, but for some reason I think the name of the trilogy is actually Times Odyssey. Book one, specifically Times I, written by Mr. Arthur C. Clarke and Mr. Stephen Baxter. That's a, just on that note, always kind of curious how two people write a book and how they go about it. Because there's sort of many different ways in which their sort of processes could go. Uh, so I wonder how these two did it. Arthur C. Clarke, huge, huge fan, 2001, awesome movie. Did I read the book? I actually don't remember. Maybe I did, maybe I didn't. It's for me to not know and you to not find out. Stephen Baxter, I'm not sure if I've ever read any, although I think he did one called, oh shit, uh, Patriot's War? No. Something War that I think I did read. Also, very, very highly respected in the sci-fi author realm, so good to see these two together, and I like it. Needless to say, perhaps on that note, I will, as unprofessionally as I do, give out my rating right off the bat. Unprofessional, but otherwise, sometimes I forget, and um, I like doing it that way when it suits me. And it suits me like a leopard skin suit. What? Ah. Five out of five. Yes. Easy decision once again. So that's two fives out of fives for a TV Tuesday and a book Wednesday. So we're living in a land of plenty. Plenty of awesome. Thank you to all of these creators of things for creating things that are amazing and easy for me to give the top rating that I can give. Although occasionally I will give six out of fives, but, uh, you know, what are you going to do? I will tease that in my video games day talk that I will do on my drive home today, it's not all five out of fives, let me tell you. Mm. Okay, so um, this book is a very, very interesting premise, and I like it very, very much. It is the year 2037, and a UN, which stands for United Nations Helicopter, or Chopper, if you prefer, is uh, flying around uh, India, Pakistan, sort of around that border, looking for shit. Not to cause shit, but to cease the causing of shit, as the UN is supposed to do, then they are shot down, which is never good. Uh, on board is a couple of dudes, as well as what I think you would could consider of this novel and so far series the main character, although it floats back and forth between several characters. Probably the main I would go is a girl by the name of, uh, <laughs> and I knew I was going to have trouble with this name, Vicessa? Bicessa. Bicessa? I'm going to spell it for you and let you decide. B-I-S-E-S-A. Bicessa. Yeah, let's call her Bicessa, because that's my name. So they uh, crash land. They're okay. Uh, not totally blown to shit, so that's good, because it would have been a short novel if the main character died in the first chapter. Hmm. Now, where the interesting sci-fi-iness comes in, is that despite the fact they, that they took off in the year 2037, they have actually, factually, landed in the kind of, sort of, kind of, sort of, year of 1885. What? 
How is that possible? Science fiction. That's how it is possible. From this point on, it sets it up so that we sort of learn through Misses and other folks' observations that the world, the globe, the Earth, has been, for lack of a better word, broken up into... Uh, this is kind of hard to describe, and again, I knew I would have trouble describing this. Broken up into different time zones. Well, see, that doesn't make sense, because it already is broken up into different time zones. So, for example, uh, this area in which Vicesa is, is <laughs> currently in the year 1885. However, if you were to travel by foot for, I don't know, I think it was like a day away, the area in which you would then be is a section of Earth that was torn from something like 2 million B.C., let's say. And the entire globe is broken up into different areas such as this, ranging from times when there were literally sort of cavemen and mammoths roaming the landside, the landside, the lands, all the way up to 2037, in which Vicesa is from, nothing past that. So that's sort of an interesting little tidbit that I, despite being into book two, uh, 100 and change pages, have not quite figured out why that is, but I believe it is significant. Uh, you've got people from 1885, specifically British soldiers who were stationed in India, so that's pretty cool. Also in this sort of region, somewhat locally, eventually Basissa, <laughs> the fucking name, uh, the British soldiers and the two dudes in the chopper with her run into Alexander. Yes, the Alexander, as in the lighthouse, as in the conqueror of great swaths of Europe and Asia. Alexander and his sort of Macedonian army in tow. So they uh, they hook up, these, these dudes, because they are, I don't know how the, they sort of arbitrarily decided that this is the quote-unquote side of good and the side of evil is filled by the Huns, as in Attila the goddamn Hun, who his area of the globe was uh, taken from his time period and then sewn together with other areas as the whole globe is broken up into different time zones. But yeah, so uh, hopefully you, you're, you're following me because it's a very, very cool concept and when you're reading the book it makes total obvious sense, but I knew describing it I would have a little difficulty. Uh, also sort of from the year 2037, who's, who just so happened to be above at the time of this breaking up and reassembling of the globe, were people in a spacecraft, uh, people who ended up landing in the area occupied by the Huns, people who ended up hooking up with the Huns, people who ended up using kind of, sort of, kind of, sort of the Huns for their own evil purposes. Uh, this is all the whole, the whole book, book one of this series was for the most part setting it up for a battle between the forces of uh, Alexander, 
with the British troops, with uh, Vicesa and these two dudes who crashed in their helicopter. So that's one faction. The other faction being Attila the goddamn Hun, fuck, as well as uh, the the folks who were in space at the time who sort of crash landed. The folks who were in space, I didn't write down their names because I quite often don't when I'm in a rush. And it is not 100% important other than the main character, sure, sure. There was three of them originally. They landed in Hun territory. One of them immediately had chopped off. Huh? The other two sort of played it sort of a la... the hell is that movie? Uh, the Man Who Would Be King and sort of tricked them into believing they were from the heavens, which I guess kind of technically they were, and sort of godlike. They were then taken to Attila the Hun. One of them retained his sort of normal humanity and goodness. However, the girl, uh, Sable, I believe her name was, actually, she was sort of corrupted and slowly, you get the feeling, slowly driven insane and mad and hungering for power. So she hooked up with Attila slash used him to take his horde to Babylon. Because while they were still in space, the only sort of sign of, uh, I guess you would say, somewhat advanced human technology was coming from Babylon. The only signal left, whereas most of the Earth had gone dark. So both Vicesa and Sable, with their armies in tow, decide to head to Babylon. Babylon, sort of cradle of humanity, where humanity spread, spread forth back in the day. Uh, and spread around the world like a virulent plague. That's where we're headed. <coughs> some sort of evidence of this breaking up of the world or some, some just sort of cool things that came about because of it is that among these British soldiers was uh, Rudyard Kipling, or Rudyard, or Rudyard. I prefer Rudyard. Uh, so that's kind of cool. Uh, uh, character from actual real history thrust into this world, as well as a cave woman and her son. They were captured by the Brits. That's actually how the book started with that scene. Uh, another interesting idea that just sort of one of those little, little things that to me goes a long way in making this, uh, putting science in my fiction, I guess you could say, was the fact that different different areas of the globe are now broken up, and because they are from different time zones, they are also at different elevations. So that's kind of cool, because shit over the years is going to get worn away, so they'll come to a sort of breaking line of the region, and say there'll be a ten-foot drop, because the region that they're moving into has been, say, eroded away by glaciers. Very, very cool. Science in my fiction. Goddamn love it. Uh, also, further fiction in my science is the fact that around the globe are these silvery, sort of floating, metal-looking orbs just all over the place, including a giant one in Babylon, which uh, is a sort of a further reason for everyone to head there. This, uh, we learn eventually, is sort of where all of this is emanating from, from this giant orb in Babylon. 
the, uh, the I was kind of surprised of this that the battle between these two forces was not actually at the end of the book. I thought that would be the sort of final showdown and then put it into book two. But no, no, no. Rather, we have the final battle, which I'm not going to give too much away for the reasons that I would like you to read this yourself and experience its awesomeness, as well as I'm almost at the time and I have to hurry. So, double reason. So that battle happens, and then five years pass. Yeah. Uh, Vicessa, needless to say, I suppose, bit of a spoiler, didn't die, and uh, is studying the giant orb in Babylon, studying slash being studied. Huh, interesting. She can feel within this orb a sort of presence that is almost, it feels like it's picking at areas of her brain, and they are sort of psychically connected. Very very cool, and I like it. Uh, eventually, because of this connection, she learns that the beings, let's call them, behind this fracturing of the globe are called <coughs> are called the firstborn. And when I say firstborn, I literally goddamn mean firstborn. The first sort of sentient beings to inhabit the goddamn universe. Huh? so far above us that it is as if we are not even ants to them, as if we are bacteria living in our gut. Yeah, that's how low we are. However, they also sort of have the feel of studying us, so as if this is kind of an experiment of theirs. So for Vicessa, it is good in the sense that she almost talks them into sending her back to her time. For the reason that, not f not for any sort of altruistic reason on their part, just for the fact that, hey, maybe it's kind of interesting that we'll see what happens in this. We don't really care, but hey, why not do it for the entertainment value alone? So that's kind of where this book ends, with Vicessa being sent back to her time in 2037. The day before, or the day after, I can't really remember, of the day she disappeared... And this also sort of section here sets it up that there's sort of a connection, I think you could say, or assume perhaps, between the obelisk from the 2001 and 3001 A Space Odyssey series, let's call it, and these floating orbs, as if it's sort of the same firstborn of the universe that sent them to Earth to, in the case of 2001, if you don't know, um, it's kind of uh, implied that this obelisk gave human beings their sort of sentience and consciousness and elevated us, and in this case, tore the goddamn globe apart into multiple time periods, folks! That will end it. Uh, yes, very, very cool idea, executed amazingly. I can't think of any complaints I had of this novel. Uh, it was, God damn good. I'm in hundred and so pages into book two, and it's taken a very, very interesting turn. Not as good as book one, but that always seems to happen to me that in a trilogy, if book one is amazing, my hopes are raised perhaps too high for book two, and I think that's kind of happened here. That being said, still very, very good. Uh, I will 
be back this afternoon for our video games talk, in which I have, um, I was going to say three video games, but two and a quarter, two and an eighth video games. Ah, interesting. Very, very interesting. You might even say, folks, since I'm going into work, I will say, as I do every time I go into work and, and going to come back, which is, oh my god, love you, dearies. I'm a fool to do your dirty working, working, working. And we're back. We are 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 back. Back in action. Hello for the third and last time of this particular episode. Uh, yeah, don't get to do that very often, if ever. If you're following along so far, we have jammed into this episode a TV Tuesday, specifically Children's Hospital, which we've given a 5 out of 5. A Book Wednesday, in which we have reviewed Time's Odyssey, which we have also given a 5 out of 5. Now I'm going to talk about video games, and none of them are getting a 5 out of 5. Shit! It's a shame for two reasons. One, I would have very much liked the sort of symmetry of having um, everything get fives out of fives. It would be good to my OCD parts of my brain. Uh, another thing that would have been beneficial if they all got fives out of fives would be that, well, I really enjoyed them and gave them fives out of five. So there's those two things, neither of which happened, unfortunately. But you can't always get what you want if you try some if you try sometimes you will find you get what you need and that is something that is something I think I teased this by saying two and one eighth game why don't I just start out with the one eighth game how do I say this the game is called Jet Set Radio came out I do believe for the PlayStation uh, or one, if you prefer. I prefer uh, which is, of course, French for one. Because I am Canadian, nice to get in a little of the uh, French language every once in a while, when at all possible. Uh, I'm giving it one-eighth, and something I don't think I've ever done before is not even going to rate it. Just say that I don't think it holds up too, too good. Uh, I downloaded it. It was for free, as were another one of these games I'm going to talk about on the PlayStation Network, if you are a PlayStation Plus member, which every time I sort of bring up, I recommend doing so, because uh, it works out well for me and good for you in the sense that I will buy a game. Coincidentally, I have a new game sitting beside me in the car today that I just got from Amazon, uh, so, I'll do that, and then as I'm playing through this purchased game, my free games will sort of accrue and turn into a bit of a backlog. And then I will play through them, and by the time I have played through them, it's sort of uh, a reasonable amount of time to build up funds again to buy another game. So, it's kind of a nice flow I've worked into with this PlayStation Plus. And I like it. It kind of had a little bit of a Tony Hawk feel, although not as good, because you can't do as many tricks. 
maybe the potential opened up later for more tricks you can do while rollerblading around. I don't know. I didn't. I, I kind of feel like I just scratched the surface of it, which is why I'm not even going to give a rating. But I am going to say I was not having fun playing it, so I stopped because. This comes up, I think, only in her video games days, never really in other days of the week in the Libro Cube. That's because I am unprofessional at reviewing things and not getting paid for this, despite our sponsors. Uh, other than them, I mean. Yeah, that's what I meant. Uh, if, if I'm not having fun playing a video game, I will not continue to play it. So there. And you can't make it. So there's the rollerblading aspect of it. And then there's a going around while rollerblading and tagging shit. Which uh, sounds pretty fun, sounds like a good combo. I bet if I had to play this when it came out, I would have had more fun. But the graphics are pretty bleh, and the controls are bleh. And the story was interesting, I think. Had potential brewing within it, but I just didn't have the patience for it. So I stopped playing. Let's stop talking about it now. Oh, uh, okay, wait, how about this for a final note? If you played this game and had fun playing this game, would love to hear from you, would love to know why you had fun playing it, because potentially it is fun, maybe, although I don't think it is. Huh? Meh. Next I will talk another free-to-play for PlayStation Plus members game, and that is of course called Bit Trip Presents Runner 2, colon, Future Legend of Rhythm Alien. Quite often, when I review things, I will say the title twice. Because your goddamn title is so incredibly long, it was once, and once only I will say it. I do not have time to say a title of that length and girth twice. The fact that I'm wasting time saying that I'm not going to say it twice, I don't care. I don't care. It's a ridiculously long title. And to be honest, uh, I like it. I, I like a long, crazy title like this. I can't imagine, from the sort of marketing perspective, uh, this title's going to hit too many people's like buttons, but uh, but I do. I, I like a weird, crazy, long title. This fits into that category. This game is a weird game. Love me a weird game. Now, where it sort of, for me, falls short is that this is a mini-game. Uh, it was free, so no uh, no hard feelings. If I had paid for this game, I would have been a little upset, unless it was sort of a mobile game, perhaps on an iPad. Uh, I could see it working much, much better there. But when I'm playing video games on my PlayStation, on my PC, um, I want, like, a game. Not a game that is a mini-game within another game. Uh, we have seen this sort of game before. It is essentially you are, you are a character who is running from one side of the screen to the other. Uh, you are not controlling the speed of said runner. However, you can jump and perform various actions while running that let you maneuver around the game world and avoid objects because if you hit an object, oh no, you gotta start at the goddamn beginning again. And this is where this style of game really, for me, I, I don't think I have it in me anymore to play this kind of game where the only way you can 
sort of proceed within it is by memorization, by repeatedly ad nauseum replaying the same level over and over and over again until you have memorized it to the degree where you know what is coming up next, so you are prepared to push that button and get past that object. Uh, it's not fun. It is frustrating, and it's a style of gameplay that is sort of, to me, reminiscent of arcades, where the arcade owners were trying to get our quarters, but you already have our quarters. Don't try to frustrate us by making it so friggin' annoyingly, repetitively difficult. I'm going to give this game on the PlayStation a 1. No, I feel bad for giving it a 1, because I think the story and the art and the sound all very, very well done. It's just when you slap those things onto gameplay that I cannot stand, it's going to, you know, not be a good score. Okay, so let's do this. I am... Uh, I, I believe becoming famous for my convoluted ratings. This one's going to get a 1 for gameplay, and then higher marks for everything other than gameplay. Und undisclosed higher marks for everything else. Huh? Huh? Convoluted? I don't care! It's just how I roll. I can do what I want. It's my podcast. I can podcast how I want to. Podcast how I want to. You would podcast too if it happened to you. Da, 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 da. Last game I'm going to talk about is Minecraft. Aha! You know it. You potentially love it. And um, I, I liked it very much as well. Mm, again, because I will forget to rate things sometimes if I don't rate them when I remember to. I'm going to do so right now. I'm going to go for out of five. Uh, I did have fun playing it. What, oddly enough, and this is kind of funny, but not funny, haha, unfortunately, I think why I'm not going to give this game a 5 out of 5 is because I played another very, very similar in the same game vein, ha, uh, game called uh, Terraria, which I actually, as a matter of fact, reviewed on this very podcast. I gave that game a 5 out of 5. That game has been described quite, I believe, reasonably now, and I can verify, as the 2D version of Minecraft. Uh -huh. So, it is a game involving cubes and blocks in a world in which you are manipulating these cubes and blocks in various ways. When you describe it like that, it doesn't sound interesting whatsoever, but uh, both very, very cool. Uh, with Terraria, though, why I think it sort of excels is that several reasons. Easier to maneuver around the world. The sort of, for me, one of the downfalls of Minecraft is the quote-unquote map. Barely has a map at all and hard to find where you are and when you have to get back to your home base, which is something you're going to want to do on a regular basis, it is not easy to do so. Maybe there's tips and tricks that I haven't yet figured out. I have a compass, I have a map, which uh, help, but when you're in Terraria, you can open up your map and see the entire world at once, once you've 
discovered areas, that is, which is something I think um, Minecraft would have very much benefited from. That's, a, that's sort of much, much more detailed and easy-to-navigate map uh, could have made for much more fun in the sort of whole exploration of the world. That being said, I've sort of, I do believe, kind of just scratched the surface a little bit. Um, so I will potentially, and uh, I, I will potentially, and I do believe, revisit Minecraft once I've completed this game that is sitting beside me in the car, all buckled in safe. So uh, I did enjoy it. I did have fun. I do see why people are addicted to it. I have had some fun exploration and creation of my sort of home base. What I did, which is kind of what I did in Terraria 2, which is sort of what gave me the idea, is I, uh, I found the biggest mountain that I could find existing in the world that was created for me. I went to the top of the mountain and basically chopped the top off of it, and that is where I created my house. So this gives you sort of a cool vantage point of the rest of the world and means two things. It means when you're setting out from your house, it's kind of easy because everything's friggin' downhill. Going home, not always as easy, especially in this game where it's hard to friggin' find where you are when you're underground. Uh, a lot, a lot of the same sort of game mechanics of uh, creating, crafting with things you have found in your searches. One thing that sort of, I don't want to say it's ruined it for me, but it has definitely made it easier for me to not give this game a 5 out of 5 is the fact that when you are traveling around the world, when you die, you will restart back at your home base However, and this is a big however to me, you will have lost everything that was on your person. All things that you had collected along the way will disappear, and you will start with nothing. Now, when I compare that to with what they did in Terraria, which you're still penalized for death, rightly so, rightly so, I don't mind a little death penalization, However, in that case, you will only lose your money, your gold, your silver, your bronze, how, but all these sort of items that you had crafted and created and perhaps taken hours to come across, they would still be in your inventory. So, penalization, but not frustratingly so. you got to have a balance, people. Now, I have a feeling that some of these gripes I have made along the way with regards to difficulty of video games can and will easily be uh, criticized. Uh, it's something I quite often hear from professional video game reviewers that when they say games are tough, people will call them pussies. <laughs> I don't care. I do not care to be called a pussy. Hell, pussies are good, really, when you think about it. Yep. Yep, yep. <laughs> and I do not play games to have uh, frustratingly sweaty underarms and hands times. I like a little challenge, don't get me wrong. I like uh, that sense of, compliment, of accomplishment for, complete, for completing a task. But, being a gamer for decades now, when I play a game, and... 
quite often these were the only kinds of games available back in the day, where you repeatedly die again and again and again at the same spot, quite often over and over, and having to redo things you have done uh, sometimes dozens of times over and over again. It doesn't make sense from the point of view of you're playing a game to have fun. There's no sense to that idea. Why would you... It's just illogical. A Vulcan would not stand for it. And neither do I. My green Vulcan blood does not like it. Folks, uh, we did it. Yes, congratulations to us. Three games. Two and one-eighth game. Three entire seasons of a television show. And the first in a trilogy of books. All goddamn wrapped into one episode. So, thank you for that. For listening to potentially the whole thing. If you're hearing this right here. Hey, good on you. And I love you. Uh, just why don't I, since I've sort of teased it a bit so far. Next her video games day probably won't be for a couple of weeks because I have a feeling this game sitting beside me is a bit of a doozy uh, it will be Saints Row the 4th haha yes didn't I do I think I did Saints Row the 3rd on a podcast fairly certain so in preparation for my Saints Row the 4th her video games day podcast you could go back and listen to that why don't you I can't think of a reason. And please, don't try to think too long for a reason. Because you will eventually think of one, I'm sure. Because you are a smart cookie, and thinking is your forte. That will leave the final thing to say that is always the final thing I say of every episode, and that is, of course, it is nice to be nice to the nice. Thank you for listening. This has been another edition of the Lackadaisical Libra Cubicle Wrist. We here in the Libro Cube would love to hear from you. If for any reason you would like to contact us, you can do so via the email address, mailwood.jordan at gmail.com. And now I have a theory. I've got a theory that it's a demon, a dancing demon. Something isn't right there. I've got a theory. The best is yet to come, and babe, won't it be fine? You think you've seen the sun, but you ain't seen it shine. Wait till the warm-up's underway. Wait till our lips have met. Wait till you see that sunshine day You ain't seen nothing yet The best is yet to come and be Won't it be fine? The best is yet to come, come the day you're mine Live long and prosper